Our reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 14, starting at verse 22. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Invite Toma. Father God, bless this fabulous man. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness and his serving. And Lord, I pray that you will be in his mouth today, that it is your message and your words that we will hear today. Give him peace and confidence to speak out the truth that you want him to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike for my high alley. It's all good. It's all good. Morning, everyone. Thanks again for having me. So, story picks up immediately from last week. If you were here last week or if you listened to it back online, you would have heard Jennifer speaking about the feeding of the 5,000, one of Jesus' most well-known miracles. The story follows straight on. Matthew, the book of Matthew, has this... uh, Really interesting thing, the word immediately turns up in the book an awful lot, an awful lot. It's a very fast-paced story. In fact, the only gospel that's probably faster-paced is Mark, which also uses the word immediately a lot. So we're following on from the feeding of 5,000 people, and it starts with Jesus saying to his disciples, on a boat, off you go. I'll deal with the crowd. You go get on a boat. Why? Why is Jesus just kicking his disciples away? Well... It's because the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't in the original plan. When Jesus was out in the desert with his disciples, 
there wasn't this expectation that thousands of people would turn up, which is why when thousands of people turned up hungry, the disciples were like, we better get rid of them. This isn't in the plan. Jesus goes on to show his godly power by feeding 5,000 of them. But then we have this problem. The disciples weren't planning on staying out in the middle of the desert. They were going to go home. And then 5,000 people rock up for a sermon. So what do they do? Jesus goes, it's okay. Go out in a boat, because that's how we're going to get where we're going, and go and rest. He sends them out on the boat to rest. Go and have a snooze. I'll, I'll catch up. Probably knowing a little bit about what's going to happen next. I'll catch up. So he sends them away to have a nap. Unfortunately, the place they're having a nap can be one of the most volatile places in the world for weather. Has anyone ever been to the, the Lake of Galilee? Anyone ever seen the storms that can happen at the Lake of Galilee? Anyone ever been on a boat in the middle of those storms? Scary? Yeah? You, tur you turned green. You turned green. I'm going to presume that's because you didn't feel very well and not you were envious, maybe of Peter, I don't know. But yeah, Galilee, Lake Galilee, really interesting place on the planet. I promise you I won't be talking for long about geography because that's not what we're here for. But the Lake of Galilee, it actually sits below sea level. It's about 200 meters or so below sea level. But the mountains and the hills that surround the Lake of Galilee are nearly 750 meters high in some places, which means that you've got a height drop of a whole kilometer. Now, if anybody in here is a meteorologist, give me a wave. Didn't think so. You would know that that causes a severe freak weather pattern occasionally. Because when the air moves over these really, really high up mountains, it gets cold. It gets very cold. When it then plummets down the mountains to below sea level, it's very hot. And when hot and cold air meet, that's where you get wind. But you get wind so violent that the kind of storms that can happen in the Sea of Galilee can be unpredictable. They can happen and occur in a number of seconds. And even today, sometimes meteorologists, those expert weather people, struggle to predict the storms that are going to happen at Galilee. And that's with all the satellites and the computers and the technology they have at hand. We're talking about the ancient world. They didn't have that available. So the disciples head out onto a boat to sit in the middle of this gigantic lake, sometimes called a sea, and rightly so, all because Jesus says, go and do it. Now, most people back then, if you'd said, hey, it's the middle of the night, go on a boat two miles out into the middle of this lake and have a nap, they would say, are you mad? If a storm hits, we'll die. But not the disciples. Nope, they trust Jesus, and they go, and they do it. They then have to battle a storm, potentially for hours and hours and hours. They're two or three miles into the middle of the lake, roughly, at this point. Uh, the phrase, a certain distance, actually comes from a Greek word that talks about that. They're about two or three miles out in the middle of the lake. There's no swimming, especially not in that storm. They'll be on a large boat, but not big enough. That's why they're terrified. 
Dave turned green. I suspect they turned green as well. But that's why they're in the middle of this dangerous lake at night. It's because they're being obedient to their Lord and Saviour. They're being obedient to their rabbi, their teacher. They actually trust him. They've already seen him calm a storm once with just his voice. That time he was on the boat. This time he's gone off to pray. Jesus goes off to pray. Daph mentioned it. Jesus regularly goes and spends time with his father, whether it's convenient or not. It's probably late in the day. I imagine he's exhausted from preaching, yet he still says to his disciples, you go and have a rest. I'm going to spend some time with my heavenly father. There's a lesson there for us, for certain. But then he's got to catch up. Jesus is a man of many miracles. What's the best way to catch them up? Does he row in a boat? Does he hire a fisherman? Nope. He goes for a jolly wander. He walks, presumably, two to three miles into the middle of the Sea of Galilee during a storm. Let's let that sink in for a minute. Because the Bible's quite short here. They see someone walking towards them, and it's Jesus. Hang on a minute. They're two or three miles out in the middle of the lake. That's about, at a leisurely pace, an hour's walk. So rightly, they're a bit suspicious of this figure that they see amongst the waves and the wind and the clouds and the fog and all of that. And they think that it's a ghost. Now again, the, the Greek here, the word is what we get for phantasm. And the Greek word means either an illusion, a trick, or in the Old Testament equivalent of the word, a deceitful spirit. Something akin to a demon. They're worried that this is a deceitful spirit coming to finish them off. They know that spirits exist. They've seen Jesus cast demons out of people. They're worried that this is one. And that's why Jesus says to them, take heart. It is I. It is I. Something that's very similar to what God says to Moses when he appears in the burning bush. I am. It is I. And the disciples immediately feel a sense of calm. It's not completely gone, the fear, but a sense of calm. They know their rabbi's voice. And at this point, nothing surprises them about their rabbi. Oh, yeah, it's Jesus walking on the water. Yeah, it's an everyday occurrence for us at this point. Take calm. Be calm. It is I. Peter wants to test this. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and I'll come to you. Have we ever had moments like that? Where we think we're hearing the voice of God, but we want to be certain? Because maybe the voice of God is asking us to do something a bit wacky and out there. I know I have. I've had plenty of moments where I've gone, okay, God, I think this is you. Can you give me a sign? If it's you, I will do it. But can you give me a sign? There's plenty of moments in the Bible we talk about laying out a fleece because of a story in the Old Testament. Peter says, if it's you, bid me come and I will come to you. Peter doesn't say, I'll walk to you. He says, I'll come to you. Probably expecting to do a rather random swim. He's probably also not actually expecting Jesus to say, yeah, yeah, jump in. It's fine. The water's great. But Jesus says, come. Come. 
And so Peter, obedient to his Lord, his rabbi, jumps in. And I suspect, I suspect, he's rather surprised when he lands on what seems like solid ground. Anyone here ever walked on water? No? Not, no? No? No, I haven't. I tried as a kid. Got very wet. Didn't work out very well. No, I've never walked on water. And actually, biblically, as far as we are aware, Jesus and Peter, certainly in the New Testament, are the only two people that it outright states walked on water. There may have been some other people that did it as part of a miracle. There may have been some Old Testament folks that did it. But there is no other point in the Bible, as far as I could see, where it outright states, this person walked on water. There are lots of people that have claimed they've walked on water. David Blaine, King Alexander, King Xerxes. But none of them have ever actually done it. This puts Peter in a rather unique category. As one of two people who's ever walked on water. And the other person in that category had an unfair advantage because he's also 100% God. So, you know, well done Peter. Peter walks on the water purely because Jesus says, come. And he is obedient. There's a lot of obedience in this story. Peter achieves something that no other human being, as far as we know for certain, has ever achieved other than Jesus. He walks on the water. I wonder if there's a thing at the moment that God is saying to you or to me where he's saying, come, step out of the boat. You'll be okay. Come and see what I've got to offer. He walks on the water. It's absolutely phenomenal. My son's a nutter. Don't know if you've noticed, but he's an absolute nutcase. But my son is, and this is this is this is fantastic from a parental vo- point of view, but quite dangerous, really, from a safe, safe safety point of view. My son trusts me implicitly. He thinks that I will save him from anything and everything. Now, so far, I've managed it, but I'm waiting for the day where it goes wrong. You see, John has this game he likes to play. He'll probably do it in a moment because it's what he does. If he's sat on your lap and he sees something he wants on the floor, he doesn't reach out and go, eh, eh, until you pick it up. He will just throw himself forward. Because the first time he ever did that, I held on to him very tightly and I let him down, played a weird game of fishing where I waited for him to grab the thing and then I pulled him back up. Alistair's literally doing it right now. It's what John does. Because John has complete and utter implicit trust that when he leans forward, the adult in charge is going to keep a hold of him until he's done. He's not going to fall. He's not going to sink because we've got a hold of him. And the thing is, this trust never, ever stops. At no point during this game does he panic. We panic. We panic a lot because he's a big boy. He's quite heavy. And sometimes the angle you've got him at is like this. And you have to bring him back up. 
but he doesn't panic. He has complete and utter trust in who has hold of him. There's a reason Jesus said, be like a child. And it's not dribble, dribble, dribble. It's to have complete and utter trust. Unfortunately for Peter, as he's seeing and experiencing this miracle, he gets distracted. And he sees something that takes his eyes off of Jesus, takes his trust away from Jesus. He sees the waves. The Bible says that he sees the wind. And what it means there is he sees the effect of the wind. The wind would churn up massive white waves, the kind that, that sailors would be terrified of. Huge waves, gusts of wind, maybe cloud or fog or something like that rolling in. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the danger and he loses faith. It's easy when we read the story to think, oh, Peter, come on. You've got Jesus in front of you. The waves aren't scary. But let's be real here. Waves are terrifying. And our eyes get taken off of Jesus all the time. It's hard being human. Let's be real. The number of times that my eyes came off of Jesus when I'm trusting in him for a miracle with John. The fear takes a hold. And I lose focus of the one who's got me. And at that moment, I stop trusting him implicitly. I start to do things in my own strength or I get scared and whatever miracle God is doing in front of me fades away. Does God's miracle just stop because I don't have faith? No. Not quite. But sometimes when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we put a block in front of God and we say, no, I'm too scared. I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm not able to do it. And look, it's really natural, but we see the results of it in this story. Peter is now stood in one of the most dangerous situations a human being can be in. Miles from land, dangerous torrents of water. The Lake of Galilee is about 200 feet deep. It's a long way down. He's in danger. And as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus... He starts to sink. The miracle ends. He stops walking on the water. But notice what he does. Bible doesn't say he started to drown and then called out for Jesus. As soon as he saw those waves, as soon as the, the fear took over, he cried out to his Savior, Lord, save me. And what does Matthew say Jesus does? What's the word? Immediately immediately Jesus reaches down and pulls him out from the situation that he's in. Jesus doesn't leave him to wallow in it. Ah, oh, you should have trusted me more. Now get yourself back in the boat. No, of course not. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus comes along and he pulls Peter up and he gets him into the boat. Now, I'm not sure exactly how this happens. Probably Jesus dragged him to the boat. The disciples helped him in. But I like to imagine that Jesus, being the strong man that he is, just reaches down and up you get. Come on then. Let's get you into the boat. There you go. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you? Why did you doubt? I like to imagine it that way. It seems more comical in my head. But Jesus does challenge him. Why? Why did you doubt? And it can seem like a harsh challenge when we read the story because 
It's only a couple of lines between walking on the water and having little faith. But when you think about it, what Jesus is saying is, why, why did you doubt? You were walking on the water. You really think I'm going to let you walk on the water but then drown? No. Have more faith. He doesn't say you have no faith, which is a challenge that he gives the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that challenge him in Jerusalem a lot. He doesn't say of no faith. He says little faith. Come on, have more faith in me. I'm right here in front of you. I'm not going to let your heart get to harm. And I think there's another lesson for us there as well. When we step out, trusting God, and we try things, and then something goes wrong, because of us, because of an unexpected circumstance, God doesn't just leave us in that situation to suffer. The moment we cry out to him, he's there pulling us back up. Might not feel like it. I imagine Peter felt quite drenched and unwell as a result. But Jesus is there pulling us back out. The moment we cry out to him, immediately he reached down and pulled Peter out and he got him back in the boat. There's no hesitation with Jesus there. Saves him straight away from a dangerous situation, a deadly situation. No hesitation whatsoever. What's the result of this encounter, this moment? The disciples do something which is quite dangerous. It's actually not dangerous because we know that Jesus is God, but the disciples perform blasphemy in Jewish culture anyway because they fall down and they worship him they fall prostrate before him and worship him as God they recognize that he is Lord and the word that's translated into worship there that means they fell on their knees and they bowed before him they recognized that Jesus was God they worshipped him. Now, if you worshipped someone who wasn't God, you would be in a lot of trouble. If you bowed before any human being in, in, a, in a Jewish culture, you would be in vast amounts of trouble. Potentially, you'd be killed for it. Not a guarantee, but potentially you'd be killed for it. One of the reasons Jesus was eventually put on trial was because... He was the son of God, a statement that he made. And they put him on trial for it to be crucified. That was the thing they wanted to get him with. That was their way. If you worship someone who wasn't God, if you committed an act of blasphemy in some way, shape or form, you could be killed for it. But the disciples bow down and they worship Jesus in the boat in the middle of the deadly storm, which subsides. We don't know how it subsides. We don't know why. As quickly as the storms in Lake Galilee come, they can end. Equally, it's entirely possible that Jesus, being the Lord of everything, calmed the storm. The focus of the story is not that Jesus calmed the storm. We've got that miracle. We've got what Jesus did there. The focus of this story is that Jesus demonstrates that he is Lord. The disciples bow before him in recognition of this fact. Jesus is Lord over nature. The very laws of physics do not apply at this point to Jesus. It's incredible. They bow before him and they recognize that he is Lord.
And we see that today in church. When we hear about a miracle, when we see a miracle in front of us, what do people say? What words come to mind? Let me hear them. Thanks, God. What else? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thanks. Always reliable. I didn't tear up with that one, by the way. Any other words? Amen. Let it be. Not the Beatles song. Amen. Let it be so. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. All these words are about praising God, recognizing that he is Lord. We celebrate with the person that receives that miracle, but we also praise God for what has happened. Spot on. Well done, church. It's what the disciples did at this moment with the miracle. I've got one other point to make. I was told to keep it short. So I've got one other point to make, but I do just want to say, when I've finished, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. We did it recently, and I think we're going to be doing it a lot. I just get that feeling. We're going to have an opportunity to pray, because I'm going to ask people that want healing to take a step of faith and ask for healing. I'm also going to ask people that feel the prompting of the Spirit to go to those people and pray for them. Because that takes bravery. That takes stepping out of the boat. It takes getting off of our seat and going and putting, making ourselves vulnerable. I will pray for you. It's not an easy thing to do, especially if it's not something you do on a daily basis. But we're going to get out of the boat and we're going to pray for people. We're going to be obedient. And if God says, come, we're going to go. And we're going to do it. There's your warning, church. There's one other last bit of the story, which is the end result. So this has all happened very early in the morning. Um, the translation here is dawn. It's sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning because it's what's called the fourth watch. So it's about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. They then finish their, their sailing. They're probably sailing um, into the east. That's where the worst storms came from. And they go to G Gennesaret. Gennesaret? Yeah, Tracy and I shrugging. Yeah, Gennesaret, which is uh, probably a, um, we don't know exactly where it is, but it's probably a sort of two to three, again, mile stretch of land mostly used for farming. It's not a, it's not a town. When I first read it, I thought, oh, a town. It's, it's probably not a town. It's kind of a, an open area. People come to Jesus. They hear, oh, that Jesus guy, he's, he's here. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And they go to him for healing. And they have so much faith, or at least knowledge of Jesus' power, that they believe that all they've got to do is touch the hem, the bottom of Jesus' cloak, and they'll be healed. And you know what? It happens. The lady that was bleeding reached out, brushed Jesus' cloak. Jesus felt some power leave him. And she was healed of her bleeding. Just touching the hem of Jesus' garment was enough to receive 
his healing power, his miraculous power. How incredible is that? But you know what's more incredible? We don't have to reach out for the hem of Jesus' garment. Because Jesus is available to us 24-7 in his whole completeness. Because he's given us himself, the Holy Spirit. And he's promised that he'll be with us. He's promised, again, as Daph prayed, that he is interceding for us. He is praying on our behalf to the Father. We don't have to reach out for the hem of his garment. We can give him a massive hug. A moment, by the way, which, when I do eventually pass away, is a moment I'm very much looking forward to, as an aside. Just giving Jesus a massive hug, if I feel brave enough to. Can't wait for that moment. We can go to Jesus with any of our problems. We can reach out to him, and we can be healed. Healing is a, a difficult topic. It's an emotionally charged topic. When we experience it, when we see it, we are filled with elation and joy. But hey, I'll be honest, when we don't see it happen, it can be devastating and it can hit our faith really hard. So when I say we're going to pray for healing, I am stepping out in faith. I'll be honest with you. Because my experience of praying for healing has been an incredibly mixed bag. But I think that God has something for people here. I believe that God wants to heal. I don't know what that looks like, but I do believe that God wants to heal. Paul, if you could come up and tinkle the ivories. I genuinely think that God wants us to pray for healing for people here, and I genuinely believe that there are people here that want healing. And I, I want to encourage you, healing doesn't have to be a physical ailment. It's definitely a part of it. There's a lot of stuff that we can be healed from. We can be healed from mental conditions, anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome. We can be healed from spiritual attack where the devil and his agents are getting at us. We can be healed from physical ailments, whatever those ailments may be, from pain, from inability to do things, from discomfort. We can be healed from emotional damage where people have attacked us, made us stop believing that we're children of God. Healing is available for lots of things. And today's passage mainly focuses on a miracle of someone getting out of a boat and walking on the water. Here's my challenge today. Let's get out of the boat and let's walk on water towards our Savior. His arms are open wide. He's ready. If I could ask the prayer team maybe to come up and stand at the front, but equally, if you would like prayer for healing for something, can you let us know? 
a hand up, standing where you are if you feel comfortable. It takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts. Let someone know. And then my other challenge is if you feel the prompting from God, if you feel something stirring inside of you, saying, do it. Go and pray. Do something. Then if you see someone that does put their hand up in a moment or stand up, be brave and go to them. Just pray for them. He calls us out upon the waters. A great unknown where feet can fail. But there we find him in the mystery. When the ocean's deep, our faith will stand. That's what we're going to sing. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to pray. And if you want healing for something, please put your hand up. Stand up. Indicate to those around you something. I'm not going to say what it needs to be. And then if you feel God saying, go and pray for them, please do it. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the Lord of everything and that nature bows to you. Nature obeys you. And I ask now that if you are calling us out of the boat, whether it's to come forward for healing or it's to go and pray for someone, I pray that you would give us the strength. I pray that you would give us the confidence to step out of that boat and that you would then give us the faith to keep walking towards you. That whatever waves, wind or challenges may present our eyes would remain fixed on you that we would look above beyond and around the waves and keep our eyes fixed on you give us the courage to step out give us the courage to be brave courage to be brave Lord give us that prompting in our spirit from your spirit and may we see your kingdom come in this place may we see your healing happen in people's lives let us see a miracle you are the miracle worker let us meet with you where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Holy Spirit, set us free. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Amen.